0: Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Healthy Debates, part of a series of podcasts brought to you by the UK's best-selling women's wellbeing magazine, Healthy. I'm your host and editorial director, Ellie Hughes. Today, we're looking at the topic of healthy sexual enjoyment to tie in with our vagina issue. In the next half hour, our challenge is to discuss everything you ever wanted to know about your orgasms, but were afraid to ask. We'll be asking the million dollar question, how can we enjoy sex more, and what role do orgasms play in a healthy sex life? Here to help us find some answers is our guest, relationship and psychosexual therapist Kate Campbell, author of The Relate Guide to Sex and Intimacy. If you like the sound of all of that, remember you can pick up the latest copy of Healthy Magazine in your local Holland and Barrett store, and on selected newsstands across the country. Or you can head on over to healthy-magazine.co.uk to get your online fix. So hello Kate and welcome to the Healthy Podcast. It's lovely to have you here today. It's lovely to be here. Perhaps we could start by clarifying exactly what an orgasm is and is it true that even though we may think of different types of orgasms such as the G-spot orgasm or vaginal orgasms, actually they all basically come down to the clitoris at the end of the day they all do come down to the clitoris yes
1: <laughs> whatever time <laughs> of day it is yes yeah. it is
0: i mean although they
1: feel different to different people at different times it's the same it's the same physiology
0: yeah so can you explain that to me a little bit? How how big then is the clitoris? Oh, it's huge. Um, it's the the little knob on the outside of the body <laughs> is
1: really only a tiny part of it. It goes, it extends quite a long way back and down either side of the vulva. So a bit like a turkey bone, and there is and and extends off in different directions. And interestingly enough, the vagina is the least dissected organ in the body. So we don't actually know that much about where it goes, um, but it does cluster on the anterior wall of the vagina so if you just were to stick your fingers into your vagina um just on the upper wall if, if you like yes. there's a there's a sort of area which which when it's aroused becomes lumpy mm-hmm. in some people and that is your g-spot your female g-spot and and if that's if that's kind of stimulated in a come hither motion or by a penis it's said that in some people that can cause an orgasm
0: but essentially, it is the clitoris that is just. But that's part of the is, clitoris. Is it's called the yeah. clitoral complex, yeah. that area.
1: And it is, it is indeed part of the clitoris. It's just a, a bundle of nerves, you know, and just the, you know, and, and the bit that's stimulated on the outside of the body is just a small part of it. And you're stimulating the other parts so just as good.
0: So, what happens then when we, when we do orgasm?
1: Ooh, all sorts of things happen. I mean, the body responds in, a, in an involuntary way. So the heart increases and that sort of thing as you become aroused. But there are contractions around um, the vagina, the anus, um, the, the area in between, and, um, and and the bladder and the uterus contract as well. So where if you have a hysterectomy, some women notice that they don't have the same kind of orgasm because normally they would notice the contractions of the womb during... Um, during orgasm and and when that's gone it changes the nature of the orgasm some people don't like it as much
0: okay and so how how important I mean we're obviously we are focusing on orgasms today but just um, to put them in context how important would you say they are in the realms of a healthy and happy sex life well research suggests that they're not that important
1: at all actually because people are far more interested in being close and intimate and would swap all their orgasms forever for a good relationship that's what we aim for in sex therapy, in, in increasing um, increasing the number of orgasms if that's what people want, and they often do, and they enjoy them. But what, they, but it's it's frustrating, actually. Towards the end of sex therapy, we as sex therapists are delighted that we've got our clients orgasming all the time and really, really pleased about that. They couldn't care less. So by that time, they're so close, they're so intimate, they're so enjoying their sex life that, that things like orgasms and intercourse are by the by.
0: Okay, so what would be the most common issues people would come to you um, to ask you about in terms of sex therapy?
1: Well, in terms of the vagina... And that sort of area, the vulva. Vaginismus is one where the vagina tight is so becomes so tight, um, sort of tightens up with muscular contractions that you can't get anything in there. You can't get a tampon in or anything. So, or a finger, or any anything at all. Mm -hmm. So that often happens when people are anxious about sex or when there's pain in the vulval area. And pain can develop as a result of all sorts of skin conditions, trauma, trauma to the area. So Pesiotomy cuts things like that um so so then or, or any kind of pain you've had in the past will make you tense in the future so people tense up tense up so much that they can't they can't have intercourse and 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 just general pain in the area i mean continued thrush can can cause skin conditions and the treatment for
0: thrush can cause skin conditions so a lot of people are suffering from that too okay so those might be termed say technical issues perhaps with the with the region oh yeah absolutely. in terms of psychological issues issues, what what are the most common things that you see oh
1: right okay so um so anxiety really um and performance anxiety response anxiety so so in terms of response anxiety women worrying that they have to have an orgasm um their partners if it's if it's a guy um worrying about getting an erection and keeping it long enough and orgasming as well so so not not responding enough to their partner is a really big pressure for a lot of women and funnily enough historically we were we were all delighted when the height report was written in the 1960s and we we in the 70s we were all thinking about um women's orgasm and how they were empowered and how it was men's job to make women calm and all of that and actually all it's done is create loads and loads of pressure on men and women and now that's getting in the way of them having good sex lives they're so focused on outcome that they don't just lie back and enjoy it really have a good time
0: okay so how do we take that pressure
1: off our, ourselves and, and our our Partners. so often just just saying we're not looking for that is all you need i mean just saying i mean sometimes we we um we have a sex ban in sex therapy we just say just just explore one another's bodies no genitals just explore one another's bodies and and sex is not allowed it's off the agenda and it really, really is freeing. And, and people discover all sorts of erogenous zones they didn't know they have. They become aroused in ways they didn't know they would. And it all becomes just generally wonderful. And so when they do move on to, to genital touch and that sort of thing, they're ready for it. They're really excited. They're really, their bodies have been woken
0: up. Mm. So actually, in fact... Not focusing on orgasms in many ways is the best way to have one. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So for those of us who say actually we demand our right to have orgasms, we think, you know, men are getting them pretty easily in in my experience. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, not that that's everyone's, but generally, I think it's the case that men probably find it a bit easier. What, what can we do for women who feel like they should Demand their orgasm.
1: Well, I mean, knowing their own bodies is really helpful because you can't tell your partner what you like if you if you don't know yourself. And one of the things that, that that's very useful for couples to realise is that women's women's bodies change from not just from day to day and depending on the cycle of the months and that sort of thing, um, but but also um, from moment to moment. So so your partner might be doing something you find absolutely incredible one minute, and the next minute. Not interested. So, so th- that's f- because because then po- possibly say you move your partner's hand, and so oh, can you do a bit of something else, um, and he thinks, oh, she doesn't like that, and never does it again. The- eventually, the repertoire gets gets so narrow that people are kind of working on a deficit repertoire if you like and they virtually have the same moves it's really boring and often doesn't work so really good communication exploring your own body knowing what you like being flexible is is
0: really really important so that might be a long-term couple thing they narrow their repertoire down to what the sort of safe zone that they know they both enjoy how can you communicate your needs or your wishes in a way that feels clear and non-judgmental to your partner I really love it when you... Is much nicer than
1: oh don't do that it's horrible you know it's uh, if you say if you if you always focus on the positive what you like rather than what you don't like it's always going to go down better and just general exploration I mean I think it's really really important that people take responsibility for what they enjoy rather than them reducing themselves down to the the bare minimum moves that they think are reliable to be experimental and try different things on different days and to talk about it and not assume that that everything is about um, is about getting there. So, you know, you can have a little bit of touch, a little bit of intercourse, maybe then relax, you know, have a chat, go back to it. And, and it, that's much more exciting and makes for a much better communication. I mean, a lot of couples that don't have very much time and perhaps have young children, we often suggest that they just put aside an hour once a week for, themselves and for touch time and intimate time but not necessarily for intercourse or orgasm so a really good way of doing that is to have a bath together and um and you've got I mean if, if one lies against the other you've got access to their body and y- you can have a chat you can fiddle around together can have sex you know full sex if you want to or you can just have a really nice hour and that's and that's very sustaining for people
0: what is your view on let's say, porn in terms of is that a healthy way of getting ideas of something new to try or are you really in the anti-pornography camp? It's difficult. Lots of people really love it and get a lot
1: out of it and I'm absolutely pro-sex in whatever form. However, I... I sometimes worry about the people involved in it and about whether it's okay. I think the difficulty is it's really hard to come down one way or the other. So if if I was working with a couple that were using porn, for instance, I absolutely wouldn't
0: d- discourage them from doing that. So you don't think it could... I mean, earlier on you talked about anxiety. Yeah. Do you think our uh, increased use of pornography and the increased acceptance of pornography as quite a mainstream oh, thing mean. could lead to some anxiety.
1: Absolutely, there's no doubt it does. Yes, In not a, I mean, the, one of the problems with it is that not only does it show people an unrealistic way of having sex and of being sexual and what bodies look like, it also, um, if you use it often enough, stops people from being able to have sex with a partner it becomes the only way they can have sex which is the which is the 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 big problem that we're seeing at the moment so if especially lots of men with erectile dysfunction so can't get get an erection having loads of difficulty with partnered sex and and not really knowing how to have sex in a loving way at all so it's a major problem at the moment
0: okay so how I'm really keen to just investigate deeper this idea of um what we can do to find exciting new things with a long-term partner because I think lots of our listeners will probably recognize that they are probably in a reasonably stable relationship reasonably loving but might want a bit more excitement to come back in so you have said explore your body have some time what are some really focused things they can do and I, I love the idea about having a bath and that's a great idea other what are other things like that that people can do so, um, a lot of the, there are lots of ways of just t- look,
1: exploring one another's bodies and taking it in turns to just look at the body and do whatever you want with it. I mean, some people like to be tied up and have things done to the and you know have the other and be at the other one's mercy. Some people really love that. But even if you don't do that, just just looking at one another's bodies in between their toes, at the backs of their necks, in their elbows, places you don't normally look can be really really exciting. Role play, especially if you're very nervous about sex, very n- nervous about initiating or appearing to be aroused. Some people still are and um, role play can be fantastic because then you can be whoever you like, that's ever so good. But one thing that women need to realize particularly is that all the research suggests that women's interest in sex diminishes after about 10 years in a relationship. And it doesn't matter how old you are, That happens. So take them away and put them in a new relationship and all of a sudden they'll be gagging for it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And a third of men work like that too. So, um, so it could just be that sort of thing. So you then do actively have to say, we're going to have our intimate time or we're going to have sex and
0: just do it really i'm impressed it's 10 years actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's quite i mean time. there are all yeah. sorts of other things that yeah. put people off like babies and yeah. having dogs in the room and, and housework things like that. and chores yeah and, absolutely yeah. just general exhaustion yeah yeah so women that are actually suffering from from low libido yeah what what can they do um so
1: i i mean there are there are all sorts of reasons why people have low libido. That's, that's part of the thing. I mean, usually it's taking away the cause, um, is the, is the, is the best thing. One of the things that happens to women post menopause or if they're on the pill is that they don't notice that peak in the middle of the month. When, when you ovulate, you tend to feel really horny. And when that goes, a lot of women think, oh, I've lost my libido entirely. And because they're tired as well. They're put off. So it's actually about letting yourself respond. So desire often follows arousal in those cases. So you have to start being sexual, actually having some sort of sex, have a kiss, have a cuddle, and see what happens then. And then all of a sudden the desire arrives.
0: Okay. So different. I like uh, the topic of the different times of your life that Mm. you've just touched on. So in terms of post-menopausal women, often the received wisdom has been, that's it, it's all over, you know going have a cup of tea but actually that's that's not the case is it you no. can have some fantastically freeing kind Absolutely. of sexual yeah adventures yeah.
1: lately all the research says it just keeps getting better and better and better and the people having the most sex are in their 50s at the moment so that's really good news for everyone and um it it it, it is more that menopausal symptoms put women off it's not that their libido actually falls dramatically because it doesn't really fall as much as people think what what actually happens is that they just get hot flushes or or are uncomfortable or itchy or just just generally worn out and so they just go off sex for that reason and then and then you know they ha- they argue with their partners about it and just take umbrage and sex disappears but it doesn't need to you know just 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 Re- relaunch yes and those things won't go on forever they will they, they will absolutely don't know I mean the, one of the problems that people have I mean it, it, this is an awful thing to say but it really is a bit of a you, use it or lose it Time post-menopause. If you're not having sex, it's harder to have sex. And um, horrible thing to say, but the vagina does sort of shrivel up if you leave it alone. <laughs> so it's as well to be having some sort of sex. Whether you just masturbate and you and you orgasm, that's great. Um, whether you you need to get some sort of lubricant, it's that can be a good idea. People use oestrogen pessaries or tablets, um, which keep the vagina healthy as well, which are all good ways of of combating vaginal dryness postmenopause.
0: And then so we've talked a bit about older women and women who might have young children. What about younger women, maybe in their 20s? What are the kind of issues that might stop them feeling or achieving orgasm?
1: Yeah I mean to g- generally launching out and onto your sex life is, is difficult anyway so the early experiences can sometimes colour what happens later on and feeling frightened to tell your partner is always difficult but one of the major things that's happening at the moment is that people are having sex before they say they're in a relationship so they've got into some really bad habits by the time they do officially become a couple and um, one of the biggest problems is people faking orgasm actually and uh, so and Then they can't take it back. And um, so I would say be honest about what you want, be really open right from the first day, and you're not going to run into problems later on. It's going to make your your head much healthier as well as the rest of you.
0: Yes. I suppose it's just quite hard, possibly, to be honest about what you want if you are fairly young and you're not quite sure yourself yet. So you need a partner or a companion who can help you discover that? Well, hopefully
1: you will have a partner who, who is understanding as well. I mean, hopefully you'll be in a partner with a partner of a similar age, um, in which case they'll be discovering too. I mean, if all their experience is via porn, I guess they're going to have to be starting right at the bottom and working their way up as well, because real life is not like porn. I mean, I think that's a problem for younger people because it's sometimes difficult for partners to understand. For both, both genders, that is just not the way it is in the movies.
0: Mm. And what about the issue of kind of feeling attractive in yourself, which I think can help happen to women all through through life, that sometimes it's your own lack of attractiveness in yourself that stops you wanting to have sex because you're not feeling attractive really you're not feeling in the mood for it what what can women do in that situation yeah a few
1: extra pounds or yeah, something exactly. It's just, yeah exactly yeah all you need and um and there's always been problems with men with pen- penis worrying about penis size not being buff enough it, it applies to men and women actually that they that they avoid sex because of their bodies but there are ways around it um i mean you can have a lot of really really hot sex dressed You know with just parts of your clothing removed so so do what makes you feel comfortable if you want to wear a t-shirt or a basque or something really 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 gorgeous and sexy or a gown and just pop out parts of yourself from time to time do it it works
0: okay great I like that idea um so I want to ask you another thing what are your view on multiple orgasms are they they're great something to strive for
1: yes this is the thing anything that involves striving or achievement is really is is really makes it harder for people so they sometimes happen and they're great when they do um, unless they you can't stop them which happens to some people and that's then a problem but if on when it when it works it's it's great and what generally happens is that the entire area around the vulva and vagina and all of all of that genital area becomes really engorged with blood, the nerve endings, the nearer the surface. So after one orgasm, you can easily have another one. And sometimes some women can just have them by contracting the vaginal muscles that can give them an orgasm. Intercourse straight after an orgasm may result in lots of orgasms one after the other. Um, Some people like to have a break between um, orgasms, because touching the clitoris too much makes it uncomfortable. So then, touching a different area like the vulva or the G spot, or just penetration with a penis, is 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 really great and can really really work for multiple orgasms. Okay, so not to be strived
0: for, but not to should, be strive for. Should they but have love it if a helpful behavior that we know about? Once
1: it gets going, <laughs> yeah, yeah. great.
0: <laughs> so what what is the point of orgasms? I mean, you've said right at the, the start of this conversation they are often not really that important in, a, no. in in your sex life they're not important for conceiving and having children so so why why do they exist well they're bonding bonding you release loads and loads and
1: loads of, of really positive endorphins really good healthy hormones when you orgasm and also we just when you have sex or feel positive towards another person the more you orgasm with somebody the more positive you feel towards them so um so it there's a there, there are jokes about women having sex because they want their partners to pay for a new fridge or something like that actually works you know, actually works on a on a biological basis because people do feel more positively disposed towards one another when when they've climaxed, and you know, so 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 there is something to be said for that, and it makes you want to have sex, and if you have sex, you have babies, which is you know biology's reason for doing things, and the reason that we feel so um, so mad when we're in a new relationship, we all feel absolutely bonkers and so loved up, and it's all amazing, is because your body's producing a phenomenal amount of hormones, which makes make you bond. So the minute that you do bond, you move in together, you make a commitment, hormones disappear, and you lose the honeymoon period. So
0: sometimes better to stay not living together and keep that honeymoon period going a bit longer. (laughs) Good advice. And and also, I've seen it the other way around that um, I've seen some studies saying that men who do more help more with the housework. And there was a study out this morning saying that still, I think in 93% of cases, women do most of the chores at home, but men who do do more get more sex. To your point, it's, yeah. yes, but it's really, really interesting because there because
1: there's a phenomenal number of studies about housework and sex at the moment. It's re- it's really a big thing, and um, they they all contradict one another, but. But basically, if both of the couple feel comfortable with the way their life's going generally, they're going to be more inclined to want to have sex. There is a bit of a thing with men pursuing and, and be- because they, they think it ticks a box, it's not always men, but one partner pursuing because they think it ticks a box that says the relationship's okay. And the other partner, usually a woman, running away saying, I'm not I'm not having sex until the relationship's okay. If you unload the dishwasher, maybe we stand a chance. And it all sounds really petty and trivial, but it goes on and it is a real thing. So, um, you know, it's it's worth getting over that and stop seeing sex as evidence that the relationship's okay and start talking about what you want to happen in the relationship rather than just leaving it all to happen in the bedroom.
0: Yeah, so what about kind of argument sex? So oh, make-up sex. Yeah, make-up sex or even actually sometimes... You know, during an ongoing, you know, week-long argument about the dishwasher that's been lingering on, you can still have sex. And that can actually be oh, a kind of yeah. a break from it. It's amazing. Still... Some people
1: do. Yeah. yeah. And they, they 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 completely put the arguments to one side and are able to continue having the greatest sex life ever. Some people can do that. I wish I knew how that works. <laughs> <laughs> but they do do it. And makeup, some people also only only have makeup sex. So they have to have a route in order to have the sex, um, which must be really difficult.
0: Yes. Yeah. Quite tiring. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about mismatched libidos then? What do you do where one partner obviously wants a lot more sex than the other one? How, how can a couple deal with that? Oh, this is really interesting because often when when one person's
1: libido improves, the other's disappears. So often it's a, a bit of a fear of intimacy or something like that, getting too close. The closer people are, the less likely they are to have sex, sometimes because uh, because they worry. The closer they are, the more bonded they are, the more they have to lose. And this isn't necessarily—they're not even consciously aware of that—but um, that's the way they feel. And so they they will pursue sex to to prove the relationship's okay, um, and the other one will ignore it to prove it's not okay. And then and then they swap. And it it it, it does sort of control how close they can get, but. Sometimes people say they have a high libido because they know the other partner isn't going to play ball. And the other person can say, well, I've got low libido, which means it's not their fault that they don't have to. And the couple can say, "Okay, well, we would have sex if we could, but sometimes they don't really want to. Um, if that makes any sense.
0: So libido is almost being used as a kind of excuse. Yeah, yeah. uh,
1: I think it is. Because actually, whether your libido is low or high doesn't really matter. It's the experience together that matters. All the research suggests that people are not, do not need to have 10 million orgasms a week or whatever it is. They, They need to feel close and bonded. That's what's important. And usually the person pursuing for sex is doing that, not because they have a biological need. It's because they want, to prove that the relationship's okay and that they can they can
0: take a sigh of relief okay that's really interesting mm. um so how do you know and I expect you won't want to put a number on it but how do you know if you are having a healthy sex life with a long-term partner oh you talked about feeling close and bonded but can you have a, a good bond without sex what what's your view of sexless marriages oh, and yeah. equally you know sh- if you are having sex should it be once a week once a fortnight you know what Whatever works for you, I mean, I think I de- there's a really
1: interesting, another lot of research suggests that people um that people have an image of themselves uh, that they believe in, and they also have a different persona, which is what they actually do, their behavior. So if you say to somebody, "How often are you having sex?" And I often do say to partners, so how often are you having sex?" And one will say, "Oh, you know, three or four times a week." And the other one goes, "What? we're lucky if we get it once a month. And, um, and, and they mean to have sex two or three times a week, but I, because, it, because they feel they ought to, because that's what the world says you should be doing, and that proves the relationship's OK. But in fact, they're too tired, and a little cuddle is what they really need. What most people complain about when they come for sex therapy is not that they're not having orgasms. I mean, that might be an issue. Not that they're not having intercourse, that they never kiss that they never cuddle, that they never feel close. And what is better than a really good snog? If you ask people, I mean, some people can go through an entire sex therapy program and have never kissed, unless you tell them to. They don't think of it. And it's so intimate and it's so loving and it's so great. And that's what's much more important than ticking off the number of times you have sex or the
0: number of orgasms. It's feeling close and feeling you can rely on one another. Kate, that is such good advice. I think we might leave it there because that's such a good note to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was episode 11 of Healthy Debates. If you liked what you heard, remember you can buy the latest copy of Healthy Magazine in your local Holland and Barrett store and on selected newsstands across the country. Or head to our website, healthy-magazine.co.uk. Please do feel free to subscribe to our regular podcasts on your podcast app and give us a rating. And if you want to explore more on the topics raised, do pick up Healthy for Men magazine or subscribe to the Healthy for Men podcast. Coming soon to the Healthy for Men podcast will be conversations with Love Island's Dr. Alex and sex expert and journalist Alex Fox. That was episode 11 of the Healthy Debates podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.